Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to have you with us today. I want to welcome all of you here, whether you're in person or you're watching online. You know, this is a big week around here. We got that youth group kickoff tonight. And by the way, you could sign up at plumcreek.org slash youth group kickoff. And Jimmy wanted me to pass on. This is happening rain or shine. We also have new life groups meeting for the first time this week. And we're excited about both of these things. But this is a big week for kind of a sad reason, too. This is the beginning of Troy's last week as the worship minister here at Plum Creek. Next Sunday is his last Sunday on staff. And we love Troy and Lori, and we want them to know how much we appreciate them. So I want to invite you to this farewell reception that's happening next Sunday at the Life Center right after the 11 o'clock service. Uh, we're really going to miss these guys, but I am glad that they'll be living closer to family, especially close to those grandkids. That's a good thing. And I'm also grateful that David Schneller is stepping up to be our interim worship minister, and I know he's going to do a great job. But there is one more reason why this is a big week around here. We're starting a new sermon series called Life on Mission. And I am not exaggerating when I say that I have been looking forward to this series for almost a year. I truly believe that God is going to stretch us and use us in ways like we've never seen. Two weeks from today, everybody at Plum Creek will have the opportunity to accept a special mission. It's called a Kingdom Challenge. And each one of these challenges, it's an invitation to step out on faith and follow God's purpose for your life. And really, that's what this series is about. It's about purpose. It's about making a difference. Because like we just saw, life is short, and we don't want to waste our lives. We want to live on mission. So how do we do that? How do we live on mission? Well, we're going to answer that question today, and I just want to be upfront here. I won't pretend that I'm an expert on this. When I'm being honest, as I look back on my life, I've wasted a lot of time. I've been distracted by things that don't really matter. But I, I do know that God has been teaching me to be more focused. He teaches me through His Word. He also inspires me by the example of others. I still have a long way to go, though. So I, as I stand here, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I, I need this sermon as much as anyone. So let's dive in. I'm going to share several quotes here this morning, primarily from Jesus, but also from a few others. And I want to start with a quote from a preacher named John Piper. Listen to this. John Piper said, You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world, but you do have to know the few great things that matter, perhaps just one, and then be willing to live for them and die for them. So what's your reaction to that quote? Do you know those few great things that matter? Do you know what they are? And are you ready to live for them? Are, are you ready to die for them? You know, all of us deep inside, we have this powerful longing for meaning and purpose. Some people won't admit that. Some people deny that it's there, but it's there. God gave us this longing, and we know somehow, we know that we're not here on this planet to just get a good education, get a good job, get a good family, have a good time, and then die. We know we're made for more than that, right? We feel it. And there are a couple things you can do with that feeling. 
One thing you can do when you, when you get that sense, that longing, you can just stuff it back down into your soul and try to forget about it. But you do have another option, and, and this one is far better. You can ask why. Why do I have this feeling, this longing? Mark Twain once said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. So this is the better option. Look to God and say, God, why am I here? What's the point? Why did you create me? Sometimes we feel like it's hard to get specific answers to those questions. But the good news is God has told us what we need to know here in, this, here in his word. For example, we could look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. In, in this passage, the prophet Isaiah is sharing a message that came from God. And in this message, God says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So do you see our purpose there? You see why God created people? We're, we're made for his glory. In other words, we weren't created for ourselves. We were created for him. And that means, like I've said many times before, your life is not about you and my life is not about me. You and I exist to bring glory to God, to communicate by our words and by our actions and by our very lives, just how great he is. We're here to say, don't look at me, look at him. Now, please don't get me wrong. You are deeply loved by God. You are precious to him. That is absolutely true. You're more loved than you could ever know. However, being loved by God does not mean you're at the center of the story. God himself is at the center of the story. And the truth is, Many of us don't like hearing that. There's another quote from John Piper that applies here. He said, Many people do not feel loved when they're told that God created them for his glory. They feel used. And this is understandable given the way love has been almost completely distorted in our world. We are taught in a thousand ways that love means increasing someone's self-esteem. Love is helping someone feel good about themselves. Love is giving you a mirror and helping you like what you see. But this is not what the Bible means by the love of God. Love is doing what is best for someone. But making self the object of our highest affections is not best for us. In fact, it is a lethal distraction because we were made to see and savor God and in savoring Him to be supremely satisfied and thus spread in all the world the worth of his presence. And that, that's a different way of thinking about things. Love is taking the focus off of ourselves and putting the focus on him. So do you see it? When, when we live for God's glory, when we see him and savor him, and we are supremely satisfied in him, we not only give him what he deserves, we also do what's good for us. It's good for us to move from an inward focus to an outward focus, and God will teach us how to do that. In fact, God commands us to do that. It goes back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. In this passage, one of the Jewish religious leaders comes to Jesus with a question, and he said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this is what it's all about. Jesus says this is how you should spend your time on earth. Just follow these two commandments. Love God and love people. And if you've been around church for a while, you might be thinking, wow, how many times have we heard this? This is so basic. And listen, I'm right there with you. It, it is basic. But here's the deal. Even though these commands are simple, for whatever reason, we still haven't mastered them, have we? We, we still have a long way to go. We're, we're not even close to, to doing this the way God would want us to do this. So we have to come back to these two simple, great commandments again and again. You can think about it this way. If you play a sport like basketball, you have to go back and work on the fundamentals over and over again. In, in basketball, uh, the fundamentals are things like dribbling, shooting, passing, rebounding, defense. You, you never outgrow the need to work on those things. Stephen Curry is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And this week I was reading about his daily workout routine, and it was really interesting. Every single day, Steph Curry works on his shooting. He starts right in front of the basket. He shoots five shots, and, and, and he makes five baskets, and then he backs up. And he keeps going until he makes 20 shots. And then he does the same thing at four other angles around the basket. So he's not done until he makes 100 shots. And isn't that interesting? Here you've got this guy, this amazing player, the, the MVP of this year's NBA Finals, and he's still out there working on the fundamentals. We have to be honest, too. When it comes to loving God and loving people, our performance is nowhere near the level of Steph Curry. I'd say on a good day, we might get up to youth league ball level, so this is a problem, because this is what it's all about. This is what we're here to do, love God and love people. So the bad news is, in general, we're not very good at this. But there's also good news. The good news is God has established a kingdom where this is becoming a reality. There's a kingdom with citizens who are learning how to love in the way that God loves here at Plum Creek in 2022, we've set aside this year to focus on the kingdom of God. And I want to make sure we're all clear about the meaning of this phrase, kingdom of God. Uh, we, we talk about this a lot, but it's easy to forget because people get confused. Throughout this year, we've been using a simple definition. The kingdom of God is any place where God's rule and his reign have truly begun. So where is that? In one way, you could say the whole universe is the kingdom of God because he rules over everything. He's the almighty creator. So that's true, but in another sense, this world has rebelled against God and rejected him as king. They said, we don't want you to rule or reign over us. That rebellion began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve when they sinned against God. But then that rebellion has continued throughout history all the way down to us. We've all taken part in this rebellion because we all sinned against God, and our sin left a wake of pain and brokenness and death. And because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God. 
forever. He will give us what we ask for. And if we say, God, we don't want you to be our king, he honors our wishes. And it's, think about being separated from God forever. What a tragic thing. What a terrible thing. Eternal death apart from God. That's hell. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus came into this world and he established a new kingdom. He did that as he sacrificed his life on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins. And he invites us to be a part of this new kingdom that he established. So if you give your life to Jesus and surrender to him as king, you become a citizen in this kingdom. So what does life look like in the kingdom of God? What's it like when God rules and reigns? Well, when God is in charge, completely in charge, everything that's wrong goes away. And that's an extreme statement, but it's true. When God's kingdom is in full effect, all sin, all evil, everything bad is eliminated. So war, disease, abuse, fear, death, all of those things will one day be eradicated by a God who is holy and just. And that's why we want to see as many people as possible surrender to Jesus as king. We want to see this kingdom grow and spread all over the earth. And you know, that's exactly what Jesus wants, too. During his time here, Jesus was very clear about why he came into the world. One time, he announced kind of a personal mission statement of his. He was talking to a man named Zacchaeus, and he said, For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. This was the mission that was given to Jesus by his heavenly Father, and he accomplished that mission. He came to earth. He found lost people like you and me, and through his death, burial, and resurrection, he, he made a way for us to get back home to God. So what about us? What's our mission? Well, as soon as we surrender to Jesus as king, as soon as you receive that gift of salvation, then you pick up right where Jesus left off. His mission becomes our mission. Right before Jesus left this world, he, he gave a specific task to his followers. It's another thing that uh, you hear a lot around here. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to the disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So if you have been blessed by God through a relationship with Jesus, you've been called by God to help others find a relationship with Jesus. So do you, wanna, do you want to push away the sense of emptiness in your life? Find a way to participate in this mission. Do you want to thank God for everything he's done for you? Find a way to participate in this mission. One of the best ways to honor God and bring him glory is to do what he told us to do. So that's what we're about at Plum Creek. As a church, we've been clear about our mission for a long time now. 
Uh, over 10 years ago, we said that our mission is leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And most people in our church have heard these words many, many times. But in case you're new around here, you, you might be thinking, well, why does a church even need a mission statement? That's a good question. And I can't answer for every church, but I can answer for us. You see, uh, whatever you do in life, it's important to know what you're trying to accomplish. Say you're playing golf. What, what's your mission in golf? Well, you're trying to take that little ball and hit it into the hole in as few strokes as possible. Or what if you work at Taco Bell? What would your mission be there? Well, up at corporate, they have an official answer. They, they said, Taco Bell's mission is to make the best Mexican-style fast food, providing fast, friendly, and accurate service. And I'll let you decide how well they're doing with that mission. But in the context of the church, a mission really helps us focus on what we should focus on and, and not be distracted by the things we shouldn't focus on. We can take all the ministry around here, all future ministry opportunities, and we can run them through this filter. Will this ministry help us lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus? If so, then we'll consider starting it or we'll continue it. But if the answer is no, then we can't be distracted by that. It's important to remember that we did not invent this mission. It came from Jesus, Matthew 28. So we hold tight to this mission, and we pray that God will use every person here, every person in our church, to be actively involved in the Great Commission. Now, this is where a lot of Christians struggle. Some of us might say, yeah, I... I know the Great Commission is important, but, man, evangelism is just not my gift. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me feel awkward. So I should probably leave that job to preachers and missionaries and, and other people who are more gifted than I am. And, and listen, I understand that perspective because it is true that God has gifted some people to be great evangelists, and other people don't have that gift. At the same time, though, the Great Commission was not limited to a select group. Every follower of Christ has a role to play. All of us can point people to Jesus in some way. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate this, and I have an illustration that may be helpful. A, a few days ago, my buddy David Schneller, he told me about a video that's been really popular over the last few weeks. It's about a, a boy who is really, really excited about corn. Has anybody seen The Corn Kid? Man, if you don't know about this, do yourself a favor. Get on YouTube and do a search. Search the CEO of corn. It is impossible not to love this kid. But in the video, the boy is being interviewed while he eats a uh, grilled, an ear of grilled sweet corn, like you might get at the fair. And the interviewer asks uh, the boy lots of questions and, I mean, his enthusiasm level is off the charts. I'll share a few quotes with you. Uh, the interviewer asks him uh, about why he likes corn, and, and he says, Ever since I was told that corn was real, it tasted good. When I tried it with butter, everything changed. I love corn. I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. And then the interviewer asked him to describe corn for someone uh, who's never tasted it. And he said, well, it's a big lump with knobs. 
It has the juice. That's the part that mostly makes me like the corn. And then he says, if anybody loves corn, if you come to me, I can tell you all about it. <laughs> so it's really pretty amazing. This boy is basically an evangelist for corn. He gave his corn testimony. He said, this changed my life. I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. But you know, if, if I'm being brutally honest, he didn't describe corn very well, did he? He said, it's a big lump with knobs. That's a terrible description. So in the end, is this kid really qualified to be a spokesperson for corn? Well, in all the ways that matter most, he's absolutely qualified. He's sincere, he's enthusiastic, and he is effective. He made me want to go get some corn. Had some last night. And really, it's, it's not that different for followers of Jesus. If Jesus has truly changed your life, you're excited about it. And you want others to find what you have found. And it's okay if your words aren't very polished. As long as you're sincere, you can just tell your story and then leave the rest up to God. Like I said, we all have a role to play here. If, if you're a part of the church, you have a mission. And I do want to be clear, we can't make anyone follow Jesus. You know, this is ultimately the work of God. God is the one who touches a person's heart and changes their life. But he does want to use us in the process. So we all have a role to play. And the truth is, we're not done with this task by a long shot. We can see that in our community. We all have friends or neighbors or family members who have not yet experienced a life-changing relationship with Jesus. They don't yet have the hope and the promise of eternal life. Man, that is tragic, and this is urgent. And then if we look beyond our community, if you zoom out on a global level, you can see the need is massive. Right now, the world's population is approaching 8 billion people. And out of that 8 billion, over 3 billion have no access to the gospel. They have practically no opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus. Man, that's a huge number. And what did Jesus say? In the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus was clear. God calls the church to reach people not just locally, but also globally. So we're getting some clarity on the purpose that God has for our lives. It's really pretty simple. Love God, love people, and point others to Jesus. If you're a part of the church, you have a purpose and you have a mission. Here in this year of the kingdom, God has used our church to point people to Jesus in lots of different ways. It's been very cool to see. Uh, many of you have given generously toward kingdom projects. Uh, you've supported Camp Northward. You've provided relief and ministry for refugees in Ukraine. You bought goats for evangelists in Nepal who are trying to support their families as they go out to plant churches in unreached, part of the unreached parts of the country. We've also seen God work through things like our week of serving and worship at the park and our next-gen ministry. And then we've sent teams out to eastern Kentucky and Guatemala. We sent college students to uh, Nepal. And in two weeks, we've got another group that's going to North Africa. There's been a lot of great stuff happening. 
But I keep going back to a specific question that we've been asking for about a year now. We've been asking, if we follow wherever God leads, how much good could we do for His kingdom? How much good could we do for His kingdom? As I think through and pray through that question, I know there is still much more to be done. And yes, we can do kingdom work collectively as a church body. That's great. We'll continue to do that. But we could also take this to another level. Imagine this. Imagine what would happen if every family and every individual at Plum Creek prayed a prayer that went something like this. God, I'm willing to follow where you lead. I'm willing to be a part of this mission. So please show me my next step, and I will take it. If you pray that prayer, do you think God will answer it? I'm confident that he will. But just be aware, that's a dangerous prayer. If you tell God you'll take whatever step that he calls you to take, he may tell you to do something that is uncomfortable or scary or something that you just don't want to do. So are you ready to do that? This week I was asking myself, am I ready to do that? And it reminded me of something I heard at church camp over 30 years ago. Uh, The speaker at this camp said something that really shook me at the time. He said, if you're not committed enough to be a missionary, you're not committed enough to be a Christian. Think about that. If you're not committed enough to be a missionary, you're not committed enough to be a Christian. Now, of course, you can be a missionary wherever you are, in your own neighborhood or in your own community. But that's not what this speaker was talking about. He he was specifically saying, if you are not willing to leave home, go to another part of the world, and tell somebody about Jesus then you haven't truly surrendered your life to Jesus if, if you're not willing to do that. Now, this, this speaker, he, he wasn't saying uh, that everybody needs to be a foreign missionary. That, that wouldn't even make sense because we wouldn't have any Christians left here. But he was saying that God may call you to do that. And if you're a real Christian, you won't say no when God calls you. So I'll be honest. I've wrestled with that statement a lot over the past 30 years, and at different points in my life, I've had different opinions about it. As of today, I know where I stand, but you know what? I'm not going to tell you where I stand. I'm going to let you wrestle with that question. I'm going to let you wrestle with this statement. If you're not committed enough to be a missionary, you're not committed enough to be a Christian. Do you agree or disagree with that? I think it's a healthy thing to wrestle with that statement because it's reminded me, hey there, (laughs) it's reminded me of something that is not debatable in Scripture. If you look at Scripture and, and you look at the great men and women of faith throughout the history of the church, here's what you see. You see that followers of Jesus should expect to be uncomfortable. When you live on mission, you should expect adversity and opposition and maybe even persecution. 
I've been reading a great book lately. It's called Faith Road. It was written by a guy named Elliot Branch. And in this book, Elliot tells his story, his story of being a missionary in the country of Laos, which is right next door to Vietnam. Now, Laos is a communist country, and Christians in this country are persecuted on a regular basis. So in the book, you, you hear that Elliot Branch, he's going about his work as a missionary alongside other Christians, other pastors, and they run into all kinds of opposition from the government. And at one point, they're arrested, Elliot and several other pastors. They're interrogated by the police, and there's a good chance they could be thrown in prison. In this case, though, they're released, and Elliot goes back to this group of Christians, and he, he gives a speech there. And I thought what he said was very cool, so I want to share it with you. Elliot stood in front of this group of Christians, and he said, Brothers and sisters, do not be discouraged by this opposition. We know we must face these kinds of things because Jesus told us we would. If we're not a threat to Satan, he won't bother us. But if our vision of a movement of disciples and churches multiplying to all the tribes and villages in Laos begins to come true, then we will most certainly face opposition and persecution. It's a given. It's expected. As we bring the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth, many of us will be persecuted. Some of us will even be killed. That's okay. Jesus told us it must be this way. We can be fearful, but we must not give in or give up. Our faith must overcome our fear. So please, don't give up. And when Elliot finished that speech, the pastor and everybody else in the room, they got up and they yelled, Amen! They raised their hands. They were excited. They may have been intimidated, but they were also pumped. And why do you suppose that was? Well, I believe these brothers and sisters were familiar with passages in the Bible like 1 Peter 4. In 1 Peter 4, we read this. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. You know, here in the U.S., we have a hard time relating to passages like this, don't we? Because we get lulled into thinking that we can follow Jesus and carry out our mission and still be mostly comfortable. Elliot Branch said, no, nah, there's no way around it. The only way to live a comfortable Christian life safe from persecution is to not be a threat to Satan at all. And it's interesting. We feel like that's what we want, a comfortable life. But if that's what we pursue, comfort, safety, happiness, it's not long before we start to feel empty. We start to feel like something's wrong. And eventually, if we stick with that plan and we live for ourselves, our lives eventually go off the rails. Jesus told us that. Matthew 10, 39. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. That's so counterintuitive. If you give up your life, you'll find it. But it makes sense when we go back to our reason for existing. We weren't created for ourselves. We were created for God. 
We're, we're made to worship Him, not only for His sake, not only because He deserves it, because, but because it's also good for us. So how is God leading you today? If you have never experienced a life-changing relationship with Jesus, if you haven't become a citizen of this kingdom, you haven't put your faith in Jesus, confessed him as your Lord, turned away from your old life, been baptized into Christ, that is your next step. Take it. But if you already have this relationship with Jesus, God is calling you right now to take a step of obedience. can't tell you exactly what it is, it may be here in a couple weeks to accept one of these kingdom challenges, but I know this step will have something to do with the greatest commandments and or the great commission. For today, though, let's just keep it simple. Let's just pray a simple prayer over the next seven days. This, this is where we can start. Pray, God, give me one person to share your love with today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that our lives are not meaningless. Lord, we confess that it's so easy for us to get distracted from our purpose. It, it's so easy for us to focus on ourselves instead of you. But Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts. Help us to live for your glory instead of ourselves. Help us to grow in in the way that we love, in the way that we love you and love others. Help us as a church to be serious about the mission that you've given us. Lord, put this urgency on our hearts. Lord, we just want to be open to being used by you. We don't want to waste our lives. So I pray that you'll help us to take advantage of every day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to begin that relationship with Jesus, I'd love to talk with you today. I'll be down front uh, after the service is over. You could also stop by the Connection Cafe on your way out. Uh, we'd love to pray for you for any reason. If, if you're new and, and you're looking for a way to get connected, that would, that would be a great thing to do today. Just stop by the cafe and, and uh, we could you know, get to know you and you could get to know us. That would be a good thing. Right now, let's stand and worship together.